All right, good morning, Missia. You guys could do better than that. Good morning. Hey, if I haven't met you, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors along with Wade who gets to serve this body. And last week was really fun and exciting and encouraging. We had all of the Missio congregations gathering here in this room, and we kept having to put out more chairs, which was really cool. Um, and it was just really encouraging to gather with the congregation, the family in uh, Mesa, in Tempe. And so, and to be able to, and those that are living in South Scottsdale, Arcadia area, and to all gather here in the West Valley together, which was really great that they all chose willingly to drive out to us out here, uh, but to just worship together as one family was really cool. Uh, I got to be honest, though, like today, this morning, I'm a little bit just kind of frazzled and, and distraught a little bit. Um, something that I heard earlier this week. So earlier this week, I was standing in line at a taco stand waiting to get tacos, and I overheard this conversation behind me, and it was a lady and what seemed like maybe her teenage son, and I overheard her ask him this question, what's cilantro? I know. And it gets worse, okay? Not only that, but in the most confident voice that this young teenage boy can muster up, and with a little bit of, like, embarrassment for his mom asking that question, he responds, Spanish for onion. And I was just like, dear Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they say. How can you live in Arizona and not taste the beauty and the creation of cilantro, right? But anyway, I digress. I, I say that because a lot of times, though, um, a lot of times it just seems like we don't know what we're saying. Maybe we're speaking a foreign language. When I first graduated high school and I moved out at 17 years old, I got a job where my roommate was working at this place. You know the job. It's the kind of job where you go and you sit in this giant cubicle bay where they stuff 20 of you in there together. And they stick you in front of a computer and they put a headset on you. And the auto dialer just starts bringing calls in. And you get hung up on over and over and over again. But if you get someone to stick with you, then you got to tell them whatever you can tell them to stay on the phone. And so they would, that was kind of our training. It was like, tell them whatever you got to tell them to buy this thing. And then when they agree to it, you have to, by law, read the script to them. You can't just, like, give the general idea, like, read the script. And so I did this job, and, like, the, the expectation was you would make five sales a day. And I was doing this job for a while, and I was making like 10, 12, sometimes 18 sales a day. People hated me on my team, um, but I was doing pretty good at it, and I would get to like the script part, and I would just read through it as fast as I could, and then send them on their way. And a while into the job, I started actually paying attention to what I was reading in that script, and I started realizing that I was contradicting all the stuff I said before that they had taught us to say, to get them to say yes, and the script was now contradicting a lot of that. And I had never paid attention to what the script said before, so I started realizing, uh, I don't think this job's on the up and up. I don't think I'm doing a good thing here, I'm doing a good work. So I left that job, but have any of you ever been in that situation where you realize you've been saying something for a while, and you're like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Princess Bride, anyone? Here's the thing, like most of you may not know it, but we've all been doing that with the Lord's Prayer. 
Like even if you weren't church growing up in your life, you could recite it with me, right? We, we all know the King James Version. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Like you guys know those words. How often do we sit there and look at what, what does this actually mean though? And so Jesus gives us in Matthew 6, which is where we're going today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right up there by the connect table. In Matthew 6, Jesus lays out this, this is how you ought to pray. And it's not so much a script that we're supposed to read through and not just gloss over and know what's really being said. But it's really more of a posture of how we get to approach God himself. And he starts it with our father, our dad, which is beautiful. And so we get this sense, we get to come and approach the God, the creator of all the universe, as our dad. This true reconciliation has been made between us and God Almighty, where he is as intimate as a dad. And not just any dad, and not the earthly dad that we all picture and have experienced, or maybe for some of us have been, but a good, perfect dad who loves and cares for his children. But if you get a little further in the script and you start realizing what it is we're actually praying, you will quickly come across a line that throws a wrench in that idea. That seems like it contradicts this beautiful relationship we have with God Almighty. And so if you would, turn with me to Matthew 6 right now. We're going to read out of that, and I, I'm going to quiz you guys. So we're going to say this prayer together, and then I'm going to see if you can spot the problem with approaching this God as our dad. And so stand with me, if you will, please, if you're able to. We do this out of reverence for who God is, that although he is our dad, he is also the almighty over all the universe. And so just like you're asked to in a courtroom Rise when the judge enters, how much more so when we're coming before the word of God. And so if you're able to, we stand together. And in Matthew 6, I'm going to start in verse 9. And I want you to pick up with me and read along and pray along when we get to the prayer that Jesus teaches us. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks as we've been doing this in some manuscripts, as for yours is the power in the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. You can be seated. Did you spot it? Where's the problem? Jesus says you can come before God Almighty, call him your dad, and then we say something in that prayer that alludes to maybe there's an issue with calling him our dad. What was it? I'll give you a hint. If you've been with us, as we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, it's our verse for today. So if you know where we're at in the Lord's Prayer, anyone, any takers? Lead us not into temptation. I'm going to back you up. One verse, okay? 
Yeah, forgive us our debts, our sins, uh, our trespasses, depending on how you grew up learning that. Uh, But forgive us our wrongdoing before you, God, as we also forgive our wrongdoing, or as also we forgive the wrongdoing of others to us, right? Forgive us our sins. There's a problem there. Because our sin, our wrongdoing before and toward God has done something in that relationship with God. There's this idea that God is father of all, like we're all God's children. And I want to break it to you, that's not necessarily true. Because what sin has done is separated us from relationship with God the Father. What sin has done is severed those ties. It's not just sin like I didn't measure up and so my dad's disappointed, but it's actual rebellion against the king of all creation. It's spitting in his face. It's turning away from him and saying, I don't need you. I got this on my own. In fact, what I'm going to decide for me is better for me than anything you could decide. I don't need you. That's what the first man and woman did, and that's what every single man and woman and child ever since has done in our hearts. All of us. And so scripture even says in many places that we have become enemies of God. Not children of God, enemies. In fact, at one point, Jesus says to some people, you you can't understand what I'm saying because your father, the devil, that's harsh, isn't it? Has blinded you with lies. So there's a problem. If we recognize in this prayer that we have sinned against God, that we have wronged him, that we have rebelled against him and pushed him away, how can we now come before him and say, Dad, give give us what we need for today. Dad, we want your name to be great. We want your kingdom to reign everywhere. How can we have the audacity to ask him for anything as a good dad when we have made ourselves his enemy? What are your thoughts? Jesus. Bethany's been spending some time over there with our kids in the Sunday school classes and knows the answer to every question is Jesus. And she's right. What has Jesus done? How? How has he forgiven our sins? I heard someone want to say something. Yes, thanks, Kim. It's her first time with us, and she's like, can I say this out loud? (laughs) He's taken our place. Our place. So what place did we have? Remember, we said we were enemies before God, right? What did our sin afford us? What did it do for us? It put us in debt to God. God who is the giver of life, who has given you breath to breathe right now as you breathe into your lungs, that is God giving that to you. Made you in his image to be like him, 
You have life because of him. When we turn away from him, when we spit in his face, when we say we don't need you, I got this on my own, what we are doing is we are saying this thing you have given me, I no longer want it. We are in debt now to God. We owe him our very life. That's why the wages of sin, as Romans says, is death. I tell my kids when they're screaming and asking for stuff at home, I say, what do you deserve? They say, death. (laughs) So that's right. So you don't get tablet time. Get out of here. I really do that. You can ask my wife. Because every single one of us deserves nothing but death for the way we have turned against God. And yet, because God is a loving God who loves his creation that he made, who this creation that he made to be set apart from all the rest of creation to display what he is like, to show what he is like to all of the world, to be image bearers of him, he says, you will not foil my plan. I'm going to make this right. And he lovingly pursues us. And wishes to restore us to be that picture of what he is like to the rest of creation so that the world would know who he is and give him glory. And so God himself chooses to come down in the form of man and take on the penalty of man. He takes our place. He takes the death, the debt that we owed because of our rebellion against God all on himself, this Jesus. But because he is also God He cannot stay dead. And so though he goes through death, he also rises victoriously out of the grave, conquering sin, death, and Satan. And as our representative welcomes us to follow him along through the shadow of death and into life. So that though you were once enemies of God, by his grace, you can now be called his children. Problem solved. End of sermon. Hallelujah. There was a problem in the prayer. Wait, we're sinners. How can we approach him as dad? We just found out. The one who's teaching us this prayer is the one who's affording us to enter into that relationship and to approach God in that way. And if you've been with us before, you're like, man, he got to Jesus really fast. We're getting out here early. But there's a second problem. Forgive us our debts as we what? As we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins, our wrongdoings in the same manner that we are forgiving those who do wrong against us. Do you realize what you just prayed? Do you know what you just asked God for? I thought about As I was prepping this week for this, I thought about, you know what, I can go into this and I could kind of just like, you know, in the original Greek, and I would have gotten away with anything because none of you know Greek. (laughs) Wade might have been able to call me out on something, I don't know. Brian Lamka just finished seminary. He's not here this week though. And even he told me he almost failed Greek, so I would have been good. And so I would have said something like, you know, in the original Greek, It actually means, God, 
help us to forgive other people in the same manner that you have already forgiven us, right? And that sounds a lot more easy to swallow. But that's not what it says. And just in case we want to argue that, Jesus gets very clear with us. Because when he finishes that prayer in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others, listen to the order, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, verse 15, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We've got a new problem, don't we? How many of you in here, by a brave show of hands, you don't have to show your hands, have harbored bitterness in your heart towards someone? How many of you this morning are picturing someone right now that wronged you? And listen, I I don't want to take away from what they did either. Like, they wronged you. And you just can't get over it. You can't get past it. How dare they? They're going to get what's coming to them. I know God says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But you know what? I'm, I'm a tool. I'm an instrument of his. And so God, take that vengeance out through me. How many of us are being eaten alive by bitterness and an unforgiving heart towards someone who may deserve vengeance or not? But we want to make that call. And again, we want to reject God and rebel against him and say, no, 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 no. I got this. Let me take care of it. You don't understand what they've done to me. And Jesus is very clear with his words that if we do not forgive others who have wronged us, then our Father will not forgive us. This is hard. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is really difficult to swallow. And I've heard a lot of teaching on, on forgiveness because I did grow up in the church. And I heard a lot of thoughts on this, and, and there are two different extremes that I've heard, and one extreme, I'm just going to tell you, is that you have to forgive everyone no matter what they do, and what that forgiveness looks like is that you let them back into your life. Try telling that to someone who's been abused by their spouse. Well, you, you can't get divorced, that's a sin, and you got to forgive them, that's what God calls you to. You keep living in that environment. You keep getting smacked around. Just take it. And so I think in a lot of ways, the church has done a lot of damage in not specifying what forgiveness actually looks like versus being unwise and being walked all over. And the other extreme, and this is what I heard most of the time in teachings on forgiveness, is that forgiveness is more for you than it is for anyone else. Because 
what happens is when you have unforgiveness in your heart, you start to become bitter and it starts to eat you up and you will not be able to prosper in life unless you let that thing go, right? And I think there's truth to that, but here's the motivation. It's you having a good life. The motivation in that is, listen, you just got to brush it off, walk away, and forget about that person. It's not forgiveness. It's forgetfulness. God will handle them. Let him take care of it. And you just be free and live your life. And what I want to submit to us this morning is that it's neither of those things. That there is justice in the kingdom and there is forgiveness in the kingdom And they do live together. And that Jesus calls us to both of those things. And in trying to explain this to my older sons, my twins, who are now nine, about four, I got to fix this rug, guys, I'm sorry. About four years ago, uh, I told them this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. The parable of the the unforgiving servant, you may be familiar with it. And so I I shared this story with them a couple times. And what I did to make sure they got it is I had them recite it back to me. And I recorded that with my phone. And then I had them draw pictures of the story. And I put the pictures and the recording together. And here is the retelling of the unforgiving servant by five-year-old twins. Here we go. Once upon a time, there was a king. <laughs> I'm the king. And there's a man. He said, give me lots of money. Please, please, give me lots of money. But I don't have any money. So he said, I forgive you. You don't have to give me a bunch of million monies. All right, then I forgive you. And then he saw another man. He saw another man and said, please give me a lot of money. Oh, I'm shaking you. And he said, but I don't have any money. And he said, no, you know what? You're going to jail. Please, but I don't have any money. No, no, no. And then the king who used to want him gave him money. He said, you, you, I forgive you. Do you know what? Since I um, forgive you, that you don't have to give me money, do you then forgive him like I forgave you? I'm putting you in jail for the rest of your life. The end. Okay, so there's some plot holes there. Um, They may have missed a couple of things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it now in Jesus' words for us, okay? And so this is Matthew 18. And we pick up in verse 21. Now here's here's where I want to take a pause. I just told you about two examples, two extremes of how to teach on this, right? That I've heard at least. You probably had better teachings than I grew up in. But um, one was... To just let, just let it happen to you, right? And you just got to deal with it. Turn the other cheek over and over and over. What's interesting about uh, uh, that is the verse that I'm about to read to you is when Jesus says, forgive 70 times 7 is often quoted for that. 
But right before that, if we were to back up in verse, um, let's see, yeah, 15, and read that whole section there, Jesus is explaining how at some point when someone is refusing to live in the ways of justice and love and mercy, in the ways of the kingdom, that they are excluding themselves from the kingdom and you cut them out. He's saying if, you're, if someone sins against you, you go to them. If they don't listen, you go with someone else. If they don't listen, you bring it before the church. If they still aren't listening, they're still sinning against you. They're refusing to listen to the teachings of Jesus, to the ways of the kingdom. But even then, casting them away, that separation, he's saying, is for the hope that they would then turn from their sin and be welcomed back. So what does that forgiveness look like? Remove that situation because it's harmful for the body. It's a cancer. But if repentance happens, you better welcome them back in. That's forgiveness, okay? And so keep that in mind as we read this next part. So in verse 30, 21, uh, then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? And Peter thinks he's got it. He's like, as many as seven times and seven in their day was a number that had significance of wholeness, completion. So Peter's like, I got this. I'm going to impress Jesus with my forgiveness here. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Other translations have said 77 times. But the point Jesus is making here is not to count out, is it 77 or 490? Either way, this has been 491. I'm done with you. That's not what he's saying. He's using this to illustrate the point that if someone is still alive, still has my breath in them, and is able and does repent from what they've done, you welcome them back in. There's still hope for them. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared, Jesus says, to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know the exact number, but in our day and age, this would be billions of dollars. It's an astronomical amount. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. See, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, just like in the Lord's Prayer, in the terms of a debt again, isn't he? And not just any debt that maybe you could work off someday, but an astronomical debt that is going to cost you everything, your very life, even your families. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything which is ridiculous because he can't. And a servant making the wages he would have made in that day would have had to work thousands of years to pay off the debt, to even come close. And so he's just trying to buy time here. And he's groveling. And out of pity, verse 27, for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Free and clear. He gets to go. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii was not mere pennies, but in comparison to what he owed the king, it was mere pennies. And he's seizing him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
kids were right about that part. He, he really choked them. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Now put yourself in the first servant's shoes. You had this crazy debt you could never pay off. You owe it to the king. He has every right to lock you and your family up, to make you slaves for all eternity, to hang you if he wants to, because you can't pay it back. And he says, you know what? You're forgiven. Go free. And you walk outside, and you see a friend who's like, oh, that dude owes me 50 bucks. And you go up to him, and you're like, dude, why haven't you paid me back? Do you realize what just happened in there with the king? Like, I almost got, I was almost done. That 50 bucks could have gone toward it at least a little bit, you know? And your friend's like, look, I'm so sorry. Please, be patient with me. I'm going to pay you back. It's the same words you just used to get out of your situation. How do you respond? How would you respond in that situation? I would like to think that I would be like, dude, forget it, bro. Like, I don't owe anything anyway. I don't need your 50 bucks. I, do you realize, like, what just happened to me? Let me tell you. Hold on. Forget about the 50 bucks. Let me tell you what just happened. Let me tell you this good news. And instead, verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which is never. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me ask you, what order do these events happen in? When the king forgives the servant, what had he had done at that point to deserve that? Nothing. Right? What Jesus is saying in this and in the Lord's prayer when he says, teaches us to pray, God, forgive me as I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. He is not saying this. He's not saying that you need to go and forgive everybody who you harbor anything against first, and then the Lord will accept you. The king offers forgiveness to the servant. Then what happens? He goes out, he sees the other guy, and he refuses forgiveness. The king didn't just flippantly change his mind then and go back on his word and say, you know what? Yeah, no, I, th I think you should pay for it. No. What the servant did is he heaped a new judgment on himself. What he did is he rejected the forgiveness that the king offered him. What he did is refuse to live in the ways of that king's kingdom. And the ways of that king in his kingdom is, I will forgive you and show mercy on you. Now you go and do the same. And that servant rejected 
those ways, rejected that identity of being one living in that king's kingdom, rejected the forgiveness given to him when he withheld it from his brother. You and I have been forgiven a great debt that we could never pay back. We could never make it up to God enough. We could never prove ourselves by the things that we do by our deeds. Ever. And we stand before him as the king of all of creation. And if we say, have mercy on me. Be patient with me. If we cry out to him, we call to him in his grace. He not only is our king, but he allows us to make our home in his kingdom. And he makes himself our dad, our father in heaven. He welcomes us into his arms. And what Jesus is teaching us is he's saying, live as my kingdom people now, in the ways of my kingdom. And the ways of my kingdom is that I went and I took this great debt for you. You know that king in the parable, it was a cost to him to not take from his servant. The servant owed him. And so it cost him greatly to release that debt. Our king took a great cost to release us of our debt of our penalty of sin. The cost went to him. It wasn't left unpaid. He paid it all. And he says, now you are welcomed into my kingdom as family. You can approach my father as your father. You can ask him for your needs. You can live in his ways. So go out now and live in his ways, in the ways of the kingdom. Be kingdom people and show people what the kingdom is like. Go out and tell them this good news that you have been forgiven such a great debt. And when you see someone who wrongs you, remember how you wronged me. And I took the cost. And in that same way, you forgive them. You show them what I'm like. You were created to show what I'm like. You do that by forgiving, by loving. Again, some of you, if you're dealing with an abusive situation, a situation that's not healthy for you or your family, I'm not saying that you sit yourself in that situation over and over and over again. Sometimes separation for the sake of repentance, for the sake of reconciliation is a healthy thing. But when you dismiss them from your life, does that separation look more like good riddance, I'm done with you? I hope you get what's coming to you? Or does it look more like, I really pray that you see how good this king is someday. Because I was an enemy of God and he has forgiven me and he has made me his child. And you too can have that same relationship. And I pray one day that you enter into that too. I want us to just take a moment. We only have two. And we're just going to sit quietly. I want you to just speak with God. 
Listen to his spirit. Ask him if there's anyone in your life who needs to see that kingdom display of forgiveness. Listen, this is not for you so that you can go live a more free life after this, although that is a wonderful result. It's not even for that person so they can get off scot-free with what they did. Although, it would be great if through this they see the good news of Jesus. But it's for the king and the glory of his kingdom. So just pray, Spirit, is there someone who I'm harboring bitterness still that has wronged me that I need to forgive? And then ask him, teach me what that forgiveness looks like. One of the things Jesus asks us to do is to go to a person that you have not yet forgiven and do that before you enter into communion with him. And so there might be someone even in this room or in this church family or in your own biological family workplace or wherever it may be they need to go to they need to be honest with and seek forgiveness do that before you enter into communion with Jesus because as he said if you forgive your brother or sister who has wronged you my father will forgive you but if you do not forgive your brother or sister. He's very clear. My father will not forgive you. It's a rejection of his forgiveness at that point. And I am praying for all of us that we can learn to walk in light of forgiveness. The wonderful, beautiful, gracious forgiveness we have in Jesus. We were once enemies and now we're children carry that with you. And so some of you may need to go to somebody before we take the Lord's Supper right now. Before we have this meal, we enter into communion as we call it. That's okay. You don't need to eat the bread and drink the cup right now. You need to go forgive first. And I encourage you to do so. And then once that's been done, come back to the table. For those of us who know we have been forgiven and we're still struggling, going, wait a second, why can't I let this go? You need to be reminded daily, moment by moment, of the forgiveness you have. Because that is the only thing that will fuel you being able to forgive someone else. It's not you trying harder. It's not you following certain steps. Remind yourself your identity. There's a song we're going to sing, actually, made alive. And one of the lines is, if ever I forget my true identity, help me to believe. So pray that. If you can't go to the table, pray that. And then go to that person. For the rest of us, we will be going to the table right now. There's one up here, one on each side. Gluten-free if you need it on that side. Go to the table with someone and remember 
the forgiveness offered to you through Jesus and the cost that he had to pay for you to have that debt canceled. You can go with someone with the bread, with the juice, and remind them you are forgiven in Jesus. Come as ready.